We are reminded and assured of the promises of the gospel in every worship service to know that those who turn to Christ, the Savior whom God has sent, they have the forgiveness of their sins. They do not need to worship with a heavy conscience, with guilt hanging over their hearts. But they are clean. They are washed. And so we may worship our God with joy and gratitude. Uh, Having heard the gospel message then, let us now open the word of God. Our scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we've been working our way through this chapter bit by bit. Uh, We'll find our context again by starting back in verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12, and we'll read through verse 25. As you can see, the text that we want to focus on are verses 20, uh, is verses 20 and 21. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So far from Colossians, let's also turn to Ephesians, a few pages back. Ephesians chapter 6. Just four verses, Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. In many ways, Colossians and Ephesians are parallel letters, uh, bringing across the same themes in largely the same order, but in different words. And so it's sometimes helpful to understand where Paul is coming from by hearing how he writes it to the Ephesians. So Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So far, the reading of God's word. As mentioned, the text that we want to focus on is Colossians 3, 
verses 20 and 21. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Very short, but very significant words from the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I want to begin by just stating what is probably the obvious, and that is that in, in our country, in our time, we live in an epidemic of fatherlessness. I think most of us would agree with that, and in fact, most uh, sociologists would agree with that. Uh, the situation in Canada is not as desperate in the States, but, but it's not that far behind either. And, and the statistics are more complete in the States, so uh, I want to quote a few of, of those. Uh, right now in the States, 34% of children grow up without a father. More than a third of children grow up without a father. And, and those rates are on the rise and have been in Canada for decades uh, it, should, it should be common sense to us, and, and it is to most people, that children need a father and a mother. Uh, most of us know this. We, we know this instinctively. Uh, and, and statistics will show this again and again, that uh, there, are, there are tremendous emotional, psychological, spiritual benefits for children who have a father. Uh, this is not, not a Christian truth exclusively. This is, this is a human truth. Uh, consider the following statistics from the Children's Rights, uh, the Canadian Children's Rights Center, which is not at, not at all a Christian organization, uh, and yet it's, yet they state that children who grow up without a father are eight times more likely to go to prison, five times more likely to commit suicide, twenty times more likely to have behavioral problems, thirty-two times more likely to become runaways. Ten times more likely to abuse chemical substances. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. And only a tenth as likely to get A's in high school. Children need a father. And, and it's a cycle that perpetuates because children that grow up without a father are, are far more likely to become fathers who impregnate and abandon. And, and likewise, girls who grow up without a father are, are far more likely to become pregnant and, uh, as teenagers, as unmarried teenagers, and, and then not have that husband or, or that man in, in their lives. And so our nation, this is not a Christian, an exclusively Christian truth. Our nation recognizes that we have an epidemic of fatherlessness and that children need fathers. Uh, again, those, those stats are from the, the Canadian Children's Rights Center. Uh, the Canadian Association for Equality, e even less a, a bastion of, of Christian conservatism, uh, also firmly states the fact that children need fathers. Uh, fathers have the ability to profoundly influence the, the lives of their children, the direction of, of their lives, either for good or for ill, uh, by, by either being present and engaged in the lives of their children or by being absent or abusive. Fathers chart the course of the lives of their children in many deep, profound ways. Uh, so it shouldn't surprise us then that Paul here has a word to fathers here in Colossians 3. As he's talking about the new relationships that come by being united to Christ, being part of Christ's kingdom, it shouldn't surprise us that he has a word to fathers. Uh, now, he has a word to children as well. 
but the way I see it, every, every year we get to go through the, the Ten Commandments and we get the, the, the uh, Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. So uh, the children get hammered on, on pretty frequently in, in our churches as a result. But here, here, Paul has a word to fathers, and it's good that we, we spend this time on, on the word to fathers. Uh, the reality that we see when we look around our world and the absence of fatherhood in our culture uh, is this is exactly what you would expect to find in the kind of kingdom that Paul has described. A kingdom that is dark, a kingdom that is hostile to God, alienated from God and filled with evil deeds. These are the kinds of men you would expect to find in that kind of kingdom. Men who, instead of providing and protecting, uh, abandon or abuse. Men who God created to be Strong, powerful forces for good who become strong, powerful, destructive forces for evil. Now, we we can't forget the gospel message that's here in Colossians. As Paul writes this verse in Colossians 3, he's writing this to Christians who've been brought from that alienation from God, that hostility to God, that, that those lives filled with evil, to those who've been brought to the kingdom of Christ. And that means, as we've said so many times, that, that we live now kingdom down, not culture up. That means we now learn as fathers what it means to be a father from the kingdom of Christ, not from the culture below. Uh, so, so we saw last week just how, how that... that transformation of kingdom, that translocation of kingdom from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ uh, has a profound impact on the relationships between husbands and wives, so it also has between parents and children. Uh, one, one more thing here, as we think about the kingdom of Christ, fathers in particular uh, have a special honored role in the kingdom of Christ. As fathers, we get to bear the name of Father, the name of, of our Heavenly Father. Uh, Paul drives that home in, in Ephesians. He doesn't do it explicitly in Colossians, but in Ephesians uh, he writes, uh, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, speaking of course of God the Father, after whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. As, as human fathers, we have a special privilege, those of us who are fathers, to bear the name of our Heavenly Father. Uh, so we see in our text then that Paul has a special word to us fathers. Uh, there, there is, the word that's used is the word fathers. It can sometimes be generalized to mean parents. Uh, but I believe here in this context, uh, Paul specifically uses the word fathers. Uh, you notice in, in verse 20, he uses a general word, parents. Children, obey your parents. And that's a different word. So if he was addressing parents in general, you'd expect him to use that same word that he just used a moment ago. But here, he, he writes a word specifically to fathers. Uh, that does not mean... I should say this from the outset. That does not mean that the rest of you who aren't fathers get to sort of sit back, relax, and, and watch the men in your lives take a beating. Uh, that's, that's not how it works. For you Christian mothers, uh, this, this is what you as a wife are called to lead your husband to be more and more by the grace of God. Uh, for, for the young, uh, the single women in our midst, uh, this, this is the kind of man that you are called to wait for, to be, to be patient for. 
the man you marry will, will have a tremendous impact not only on you, but on your children. Uh, just as, as uh, Proverbs 31, for example, all the women know what Proverbs 31 is, about a third of the men do. Uh, but Proverbs 31 is a chapter written to men about the godly wife. Uh, here we have uh, the, the corollary, we have a verse written uh, also to men, but, is, as just as, but it's about men, but is just as much a benefit, or should be, to, to women. Uh, and also for those of us uh, who, who may be men, but, but to whom God has not granted children, uh, men who would love to be fathers, uh, recognize that you are called to be men, Christian men, with the same task of spiritual fatherhood, as any father, uh, any biological father in our midst. You have a special opportunity and calling to be a fatherly figure uh, within the church, in the lives of the children in, in our midst, to teach, to instruct, to lead, to love, to guide. Uh, and, and I know, and I suspect many of you know as well, uh, men who were raised without Christian fathers, uh, and yet who were raised as Christian young men, who can credit their faith, humanly speaking, uh, to the, the investment and the teaching of Christian, godly Christian men in the church. Uh, there are many men who can say, I was led in the Christian faith by my mother and by godly Christian men in the church, since I didn't have a father. Uh, that's not an unusual paradigm. Uh, we think of ourselves, in fact, don't we, as, as Abraham's children? Even though we don't, we don't have any biological relationship with, with Abraham, and yet we are his spiritual children. In God's sight, spiritual fatherhood is far more significant than, than biological fatherhood. Uh, having said that, then, uh, we, we turn to, to our text in verse, especially in verse 21, uh, where the instruction is, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I want to start with that last word, discouraged. It's an important word, and, and this is the only place in the Bible where that word occurs, uh, discouraged. And, and it refers to a, a brokenness of spirit, a brokenness of of spirit, uh, when a child loses heart, loses motivation, is is discouraged. Uh, uh, what it implies, that word discouraged, what it implies, and what we all know by by experience, is that children aren't born discouraged. Children are born with a desire to please their father, a desire for their their father to be to be proud of them, uh, and and so the warning is to fathers: don't break that God-given spirit. Don't break that spirit because it can be broken. It is possible. Fathers have a powerful place in the hearts of their children and can wield it to great, uh, to great uh, positive effect, great benefit, or great damage and, and devastation. Uh, now, there are many things, if you're thinking, okay, why did Paul choose to say this to fathers? There are many things Paul could have said to fathers besides this, but we should understand from the fact that Paul chooses to focus on this, don't, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul chooses to talk about that because that is a particular tendency for fathers, a particular danger. So men can err on the other side. We all know this, and we've, uh, most of us have seen this in, in some cases where uh, men are too loose 
with their children. They don't, they don't, uh, they're, they're too much of a pushover, too soft. That does happen. You, you think of Eli and his sons, right, where he was too soft of a father. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he, he was a pushover uh, to his sons. But the more common danger is for men to be overly harsh, overly strict, to provoke their children to the point that they become discouraged. So what does it mean to, to provoke one's, ch- one's child to discouragement? Let me think, uh, let's think together of, of, of several ways this is done. Uh, number one, fathers discourage their children, provoke them to discouragement when they mishandle the rod of discipline. Uh, it, it, now, as I say that, it would be easy to assume that, that the only way to mishandle the rod of discipline is on the overly strict end, uh, but, but we, we recognize it does happen on the other end as well. A father who refuses to discipline will provoke his child to discouragement because discipline is an act of love. Where it is absent, the child will know, my father doesn't love me enough to discipline me. My father doesn't care enough to correct me. Uh, this is why uh, many of you know this from uh, your own child-rearing experience. Uh, children will sometimes deliberately push the limit to find out where the limit is because that provides a sense of security. Here are the boundaries, and here I know my dad, my mom will, will discipline me because they love me. Sometimes that rebellion is, is, a, is an inquiry of love. It's, when will my, my parents intervene for my good? But a father who, who refuses to discipline, it's an act of rejection. It's saying, I don't, I don't love you enough. I don't care about you enough to discipline you. I don't, in, that, in that sense, I don't regard you as my son or daughter. I don't care, so I won't discipline. That is an act of rejection. Uh, on the other hand, discipline is also very often too harsh. Uh, when discipline is done well, children should be able to recognize it as an act of love. It should be discerned by the child as an act of love. And, and oftentimes, the way you can tell that it's being received as an act of love is if, if afterwards there is still desire for fellowship to be restored. If there's no desire for restoration of fellowship, The child's not receiving it as an act of love. Discipline, then, biblical discipline, is always uh, uh, for the purpose of restoring godly, healthy fellowship that was broken by sin. Discipline is there to restore fellowship that was broken by sin. Uh, So discipline, done rightly, is an act of love. And and parents are given the authority to discipline their children for the life and well-being of the children whom God has entrusted to them. Uh, And in that way, we, we want as Christians to defend and to stand for the right of parents to discipline their children. This is something God teaches them to do. It's just this past week, France passed a law, or they didn't pass it yet, that the one house of their Congress passed a law uh, saying uh, that parents are no longer allowed to spank their children. This is a debate that happens in our country as well. Uh, and and it's, it's a cultural trend in, the West, in Western culture, and yet it's a wrong trend. Parents are given the right and the authority and the duty to discipline their children out of love for their good. But we do need to recognize then that that authority entrusted to parents 
is not given uh, is not given to be used whenever and however the parent feels like using it. It is to be used in God's service for the well-being of the child, where the parent is the steward of the child. But it is God's child. And so discipline is not the parent's right to use whenever and however the parent uh, chooses. Uh, that, that means that then discipline ought only ever to be done in the service of the Lord and with integrity and never out of anger or frustration. I know as much as anyone how easy it is to, to lash out against your children in anger and, and frustration, uh, particularly when you're, when you're sleep-deprived. You parents know what that is like. Uh, but, but to do so is an act of disobedience to God. It's disobedience to God to, to, to discipline your children out of your own anger and frustration and not out of service and love for God. Uh, and... and and if it becomes a battle then, if that's how it's done, it becomes a battle between two sinners whose hearts are not right with God, one of whom is ten times as strong. That's a dangerous battle if that's what it becomes. If you then, if you as a father cannot be self-disciplined and controlled, you become a danger to your child, and you do a disservice uh, to them that is done in the name of God, but not done in the service of God. Uh, Discipline, uh, done rightly, ought to be painful. It it is meant to be painful, but it ought always to be more painful for the parent disciplining than it is for the child who is disciplined. And and those of you who are fathers uh, know this, that it hurts you to, to spank your child more than it hurts your child, and that is, that is a sign that it's being done right. It ought to be that way. And, and consider this, that's how the Lord disciplines us as well. Uh, for those of us who are, are God's children, who belong to God, uh, He disciplines us, but He does so out of love for our well-being. Uh, he does not lash out at us in anger. Uh, you think of Hebrews 12, which talks about the, the Lord's discipline uh, of, of His children. He says, It is for discipline that you have to endure, because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all participate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Uh, so God does not delight to discipline us, but He does so for our, for our good, for our well-being. Uh, so, so, probably the number one way that children may be provoked uh, and discouraged is by mishandling the rod of discipline. Uh, it should be said on this point, too, that the rod of discipline is also mishandled when, when children don't know what's expected of them or what, when what's expected of them changes on a daily basis. Uh, if a child can commit an offense one day and nothing happens... And then they commit the same offense the next day, and suddenly uh, they are severely disciplined for it, for reasons unknown to the child, why, why it was this way on this day, and, and this way on this day, they become provoked to, to discouragement. The, that authority is being mishandled. It, it, it only takes, the discipline takes place when mom and dad feel like it, when they're having a bad day, and it doesn't take place when they're having a good day. That's a mishandling of the rod of discipline. Number two, fathers discourage their children when they fail to love them and teach them. 
This is, you get this especially from uh, Ephesians 6, uh, where Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... So what's the opposite of that? Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, so the opposite of provoking your children to anger is not just not doing anything, but rather it is being present being active, being involved to to raise your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Uh, As I mentioned in in the opening of the sermon, children need a father. Uh, Not a father who is absent, but a father who is present. And not just who is present uh, physically, but who is also present spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Uh, a father, too, too many fathers think it's, it's just their job to, to raise the money for the household. They bring in the income, and then when they get home, they get to plop down behind the TV for the rest of the evening, or behind the smartphone in, in our day uh, more often. Uh, and they fail to be present in the lives of their children. This provokes your children to anger. It is your duty, it's your responsibility as a father to be there, to be present in the lives of your children. Uh, How you raise your children will have a far greater impact on the world than anything you do in your day job. It will be far more significant, also in God's sight, and for eternity, it has a far greater impact than what you do for your work. Your primary responsibility, if you are a father, is to be a father, and only secondarily uh, to, to work in, in, your, in your job. Uh, number three, and related to the last two, uh, fathers discourage their children through excessive criticism. Through excessive criticism. We saw the same point uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about husbands and wives. Uh, and, and the same is true between parents and children. It's very easy to assume that your children know that you love them. And so you never say it. And yet when they do something wrong, you are quick to say it. Uh, that is provoking your children to discouragement. Children are hungry. And, and it's a God-given hunger Uh, for the affirmation and attention of of their parents. Don't assume that they're receiving it if you're not explicitly saying it. You think, in fact, of of the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus was baptized, if there's anyone who should have known that his father loved him, surely it would be the Lord Jesus. And yet, when the Lord Jesus was baptized, a voice comes from heaven saying what? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the fatherhood of God that we are called to imitate here below. Uh, Say it to your children. You are my beloved son or my beloved daughter. Don't have to use those words uh, straight out of the New King James. Uh, But but say it to your children. Uh, Say it. I'm proud of you. You are my blessing. You are precious to me. Your children need to to hear this. Uh, Say it in front of people as well. Uh, Perhaps you remember this. I certainly do as a child. There's there's, uh, one of the best moments are, are those moments when you're with your dad and he says in front of someone else, this is my son. Now you feel that. And, and children, that means something uh, to children. Or this is my daughter uh, whom I love. Let your children hear it. Uh, we, we talked last week about how, how often relationships can be compared to bank accounts where uh, there, there needs to be continual deposits if you are, if you are to make effective withdrawals. Uh, if you're only ever making withdrawals through criticism and never deposits through affirmation, uh, the check will eventually bounce. The relationship fails. Uh, 
do not be the father then who only knows how to correct and who does not know how to affirm uh, his child. Uh, One pastor put it this way. Uh, This may be helpful to some of you. It might not to others. Uh, I found it helpful. Uh, Fathers ought to be easy to please and impossible to satisfy. Easy to please. Your children should know that, they are, that their father is pleased with them. He delights in them. And at the same time, that you're, you're never so good in his eyes that, that he doesn't ever expect anything more of you. A father should always be calling his child forward, calling his child to greater heights. And yet at the same time, always showing that he's pleased with his child. Uh, so I, I like the, the phrase, it's father should be easy to please, impossible to satisfy. It speaks uh, to the fatherhood of God who delights in us. How often we hear that God delights in us. And we are not there yet. We're not finished yet. God's work on us is not yet done. There's a lot for God to criticize in us. And yet he delights in us as his children. He is easy to please because of Christ and yet impossible to satisfy, he always calls us forward on on the road of sanctification. Uh, Number four, fathers discourage their children by failing to remember their frame. Here's something else we we hear of the fatherhood of God, right, from Psalm 103. He remembers our frame. Uh, as, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Fathers, remember your children's frame. Uh, There's a difference between sin and immaturity. Sometimes it's just immaturity. They're not there yet. Know their frame. Uh, This is particularly true. Uh, My wife and I are walking through this journey right now with toddlers. uh, And it's it's especially true after bedtime. Uh, Know their frame. There's a time where, where you discipline, where you correct. There's a time where you just put them to bed. Uh, because you know their frame as a father. Uh, if it's two hours past bedtime and they're throwing a fit, uh, that's not a time for a spanking. It's a time for them to go to bed uh, and for you to think about how, how you're, you're taking care of them. Uh, they are not rational creatures at that point. Know their frame and lead them uh, as a father who loves them. Uh, number five, along the same lines, fathers discourage their children by failing to distinguish between sins and mistakes. Failing to distinguish between sins and mistakes. If your child spills her milk, that's not a sin. It's a mistake. Uh, You don't discipline for mistakes. Now, of course, if your child was being wild and you told her three times, settle down, and then she continues being wild and then spills her milk, well, now it's a sin uh, because she's being disobedient. Uh, Just like if if you're speeding in the car and and then you get into an accident, that, that was a mistake, uh, but that came as a result of, of a sin. Uh, and yet we still distinguish between sins and, and those things that are merely mistakes. As a father, know the difference and make sure your child knows that you know the difference. Uh, the, your children, uh, again, this is remembering their frame. Your children, are, uh, especially when they're small, they will make mistakes as they grow up. Uh, as toddlers, they have, they have motor skills they need to learn how to use. Don't discipline for those mistakes. Uh, they will go through, through phases where uh, they're, they're just awkward and clumsy. Don't discipline for that. Uh, don't punish them for mistakes that are merely mistakes. Number six, fathers discourage their children through hypocrisy. 
Fathers discourage their children through hypocrisy. Uh, If dad's rules are always do as I say and not as I do, uh, that will most certainly provoke a child to anger. Uh, If dad does the very things that the children are disciplined for doing, uh, lashing out, losing his temper, uh, and and if if the children don't see dad submitting to God, uh, repenting before God, confessing his sins, Uh, the children will notice the hypocrisy and it provokes them to discouragement. Uh, Children and and teenagers even more are are experts at detecting hypocrisy, all but their own, uh, but experts at detecting everyone else's uh, hypocrisy. uh, And they need to know that that just as they are under authority, uh, so also dad and mom are under authority. Uh, they uh, they, They will see the hypocrisy and it will discourage them. If, if it is there. So let them know you are under God's authority just as they are and let them see how that works out in practice. Uh, number seven, fathers discourage their children when they show disrespect to their children. Uh, in moments of anger, it's, it's very easy to be loose with our words. And, and that's damaging in any relationship, but it's especially damaging towards children. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, when, when Paul speaks of corrupting talk there, uh, I don't think he's just referring to foul language, like we think of cuss words. Uh, it, rather, uh, he, he's referring to words that distort understanding and communicate lies. Uh, words that damage clear thinking. So it's corrupting talk. Uh, and, and words that denigrate the image of God in your children are, are the prime example of corrupting talk. Uh, never call your children stupid, for example, either in front of them or behind their back. It's corrupting talk. It's damaging. And that includes things like sarcasm as well, uh, which doesn't verbally call someone stupid, but implies that they are. Uh, most parents... Uh, You're much smarter than your your child. Uh, You can win an argument, especially if they're little. You can win an argument even if you know you're wrong. Uh, You can still win the argument uh, because your your brain just works faster than than theirs does. Uh, So you can always make them look stupid, but you shouldn't. Uh, It's wrong, it's evil, and it's destructive to your children to be reminded either in words or by implication that they're dumb, they're stupid. That ought not to take place uh, in in a godly Christian home. Our children, uh, to summarize, belong to God, and they're made in God's image, and by God's grace, they will be co-heirs with us of the glory of God. Our words must never then denigrate that image of God in them. And we can also, uh, on this point, we can, we can also sometimes disrespect our children by the way that we talk about them in front of others. Uh, children are not deaf. Uh, I, I remember one particular incident. I heard a dad say in front of his four-year-old boy, uh, he said, Johnny's just a wimp. Uh, his younger brother is two years old, and he's already much tougher than he is. And Johnny was right there. That's not his real name. Uh, He was literally five feet away, and and you could see his countenance fall as his dad was speaking. Uh, Your children are not deaf. Uh, Respect them in front of them and in front of others. 
mothers can, can sometimes do this too, where they're talking with their friends and say, little Tommy wet his bed again, and, and Tommy's right there, and he's humiliated uh, in front of mom's friends. Uh, that ought not to happen. Respect them as co-heirs of the glory of God. Show them honor and respect. And lastly, this is a big biblical theme. Fathers discourage their children oftentimes by showing favoritism. How often don't we see that in Scripture? The brokenness of families that results from favoritism. Uh, you think of Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, who, who, who abused her son Ishmael. She physically abused him uh, because she had favoritism towards her, her biological son. Uh, Isaac showed favoritism to Esau. And, and, uh, and Rebekah showed favoritism to Jacob. Uh, Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph. And we see the, da- the damage that that did in their family. Uh, and, and this is so far from the character of God. Uh, uh, how often don't we hear it? God shows no partiality. Right? Romans 2 verse 11, God shows no partiality. Or, or Colossians 3 verse 25, uh, which the last verse we read uh, earlier, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality with God. Uh, God does not show favoritism among his children. Now, children very quickly recognize favoritism. It's very easy to, for them to pick up on, and it's very devastating uh, to their spirit, to learn that, that dad or mom loves one of their children more than, more than them. It happens very easily. And again, this is part of the culture, the kingdom of darkness from which we come. It's, it's easy to do. It's within our nature to show favoritism. Uh, th- now, that doesn't mean that, that one child's not going to get spanked more than the other. Uh, that happens because not all your children are alike. You know, some of you have had several children, and you thought you really got parenting down, and then you got that kid. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, so it doesn't mean that all children are alike, but, but the children need to know that dad and mom love every one of them, the difficult ones and the easy one alike, uh, that there is no favoritism with dad and mom. Now, to the fathers and, and, and to the mothers among us as well, uh, we need to remember the gospel. Right? This is not do these things and you will become a Christian who's worthy of, of that name. Uh, no, do these things because Christ has given you a worthy name and shown you grace. Uh, if we're being honest, uh, we recognize all of these things to some extent in, in, inside ourselves. Uh, there is only one perfect Father, and, and it's not us. Uh, that is God. Uh, all of us, in some ways, have discouraged our children. We, we are sinners. We have weaknesses. Uh, now, thankfully, our, their, their spirits are fairly robust, uh, but, but when we fail as fathers, uh, we recognize that uh, those failures are part of that old man that needs to be put to death. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, there's that old man that needs to die, uh, and, and we must put him to death. Uh, so we need to remember the gospel context for all of these, these instructions. Again, back in chapter 1, Verse 13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. We belong to Christ's kingdom by God's grace. And and there through Christ, 
we do have redemption and forgiveness also for our failures as fathers and as mothers. Uh, Christ's blood is worthy enough to redeem the worst of fathers. Uh, Paul himself, uh, right, on several occasions, calls himself the worst of sinners, uh, who did more to destroy families than, than probably most of us have ever done as a persecutor of the church. Uh, and, and yet, Christ's blood was sufficient to, to redeem him. Uh, as fathers, then, we need Christ as much, if not more, than anyone else, given the amount of damage that we also do by our sins. Uh, so uh, when we speak of real Christian fatherhood, with the emphasis on the name of Christ there, real Christian fatherhood is fatherhood that derives its identity from Christ, uh, and not fatherhood that is self-made. Uh, let your children see this then, that, that you, just as they, need Christ and get your life and strength from Him. And as we think about real Christian fatherhood, let's remember the fatherhood of God towards us. The kind of father that God calls you to be as fathers is, uh, is, is the kind of father that He Himself is. Uh, he loves His children including his children who are fathers. Uh, So he calls you to be a father, but is a father to you as well. And all the things he calls you to be as fathers, kind, tender-hearted, gracious, patient, remembering the frame of his children, these things he is to you as a father as well. Uh, and And it's he who's given you, in his wisdom, that title, that honorable title of a father. Uh, so let me conclude just in very briefly with some positive exhortations. Since we spent so much on the negative, do not provoke your children. Uh, how can you show your children something of the fatherhood of God? Uh, number one, the most obvious, love your children as God the Father loves you. Uh, uh, teach them, instruct them, be present in their lives as the Father, God the Father is for you. Uh, be there for them as God is present and near to you. Uh, pursue, pursue your child's heart as God the Father pursues yours. Uh, number two, discipline. Do discipline your children, but do it out of love as your Father disciplines you. Uh, let your discipline then always be for the purpose of restoring fellowship uh, when it's broken by sin. But let fellowship be the norm that when it's broken is restored quickly by discipline. This means that uh, the pain of discipline, which it, it is painful and it must be painful, the pain of discipline is to be acute, not chronic. It's to be acute, not chronic. It hurts bad in the moment and then it's over and fellowship is restored. Chronic discipline is things like the silent treatment. It just goes on and on. Or things like contempt for one's children. It goes on and on. The discipline is chronic, not acute. It's life-taking, not life-restoring. Uh, discipline as your father disciplines you. Number three, worship with your children. It's an amazing and glorious thing that so many fathers are here worshiping with their children. And the fact that you are here as fathers is a big deal for the spiritual life of your children. And they will learn how to worship God by watching how you, as father and as mother, worship God. Uh, make time then, not only in church, but in the home, for family worship. Read God's word with them. Pray 
with them. Uh, and, and let them pray as well. Uh, we, we've just started doing this with our four-year-old, and maybe the wiser fathers can tell us if this is wise or not. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing where every now and then he's allowed to just pray in his own words on his own terms. And, and it's beautiful to see already now what things the Lord has taught him, even as a four-year-old, the things he remembers to pray for, praying for the church, for example, or praying for, for, for people that we don't often pray for. Uh, God works through the prayers even of little children. Pray with them and let them pray as well. Sing praises to God with your children. Uh, when my wife and I started singing, uh, I think Abel would have been around one year old uh, at that time, and, and, and it's awkward when it's really just the two of you as husband and wife singing around, around the dinner table. Uh, but sing anyways, and it will eventually become, become normal. And, and your children then will grow up in a context of a family that worships God. And, and that is what uh, they need. Worship with your children. Uh, number four, reflect God's generosity to them. Again, how is God a father to you? Be a father in that way to them. Uh, be generous. Now, of course, as fathers, you always want to be careful not to spoil your children, to, to turn them into materialists. Uh, but, but your inclination should still be to give rather than to deny. You think of God even placing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, saying yes to all of the trees in the garden and no just to that one tree. It's a garden of yes with a tree of no and not the other way around. Uh, Too easily, parents fall into the habit of saying no far more often than they're saying yes. Uh, And and sometimes it's simply because they can, not even because they they need to. Uh, That is not the character of God. Uh, God does not deny us by, by His nature, just deny us things because He can. He denies us when He does deny us things. He denies us what's harmful for us. And He denies it only so that He can give something better to us. Let that be also uh, your generosity, your generous spirit towards your children. Uh, number five, remember their frame as God remembers yours. Be patient and merciful as God is towards you. Uh, we, we've talked about that. Number six, respect your children, listen to them, and honor them as image bearers of God and co-heirs of the gospel with you. Uh, for that is how God also honors you as a father. Uh, Number seven, rejoice in them, again, as God rejoices in you, as God delights in you. Uh, Give thanks to God. Rejoice in them. Give thanks to God for the the special privilege that you have to have them in your home and under under your care. Uh, It is a privilege to you, and they ought to know that you know that it's a privilege to you. Uh, Say to them, just as God says to us through Christ, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Let them know that you delight in them. Uh, Jesus, you think of Jesus' prayer in John 17, uh, where his prayer was that God would receive us, who belong to him, receive us and love us with the same love with which he was loved from eternity. That was his prayer for us. Uh, God, God delights in us, God loves us, God treasures us because of Christ. Delight love, and treasure in your children as well. Uh, You think of Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who, excuse me, who hope in His steadfast love. Take pleasure, likewise, in your children. Delight in them. And finally, 
Uh, lastly, number eight, pray. Pray every day, as, as I certainly do also, that God would make you faithful bearers of the, the honorable name of Father. Uh, James 1 verse 5 reminds us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him pray. Uh, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So pray to God that, that God would give you the wisdom and the strength to be a faithful picture, a faithful representative of that honorable title of Father. Uh, and children, honor your fathers and your mothers uh, because it pleases the Lord. That was verse 20. In other words, make it a joy for them to be your father and mother. Uh, just as, as they need to tell you that they love you, tell them that you also love them and honor them as father and mother. And all of us, be encouraged and never let go of the gospel. We'll never be the people God is calling us to be except by the strength and the, the grace that's ours in, in the gospel. That's our only hope, but it is a very sufficient hope. Uh, in spite of all the, the remnants of sin, the, the parts of the old man that you see in yourself, you have been redeemed. You do have a new future, a new identity. You are a new person in Christ. You belong to his kingdom, and you have the privilege of being his kingdom, carrying it forward to the next generation. Amen.